actually, you know what? All that was garbage. That was garbage. That was a really long, rambly way of saying it. I'm going to start over. Sorry about that, Nomadic, because he edits these things. So um, I'm just going to start that part over, and we're going to be more more succinct. So. Got a beard and it's looking something fierce. Having beers with my peers and talking rap careers. Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears. Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears. I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas. I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers. Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain with people who learned how to face it and be sane. Sipping on a brew, doing interviews. No topics off the table, but we focus on breakthroughs. So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check. You're listening to brews, beards, and shipwrecks. One, two, we got the brews, we got the beards. Tasty interviews for your ears to hear. One, two, one, two, a right check, stone bands, royal ruckus on the scene, just to announce. We got the brews, we got the beards. Tasty interviews for your ears to hear. Welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your co-host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus. And I'm here with my boy. Matic Vagabond. Dude, what is going on? Bro, <laughs> I know I talk about the weather a lot when we come on here. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Notice I'm inside instead of in my shed. Yeah, I, but, I did notice that. There's there's no vinyl records behind you this time. No. Um, but it's it's cold. We oh. went from summer to maybe one week of fall, and then it's like boom, winter. Oh, geez. So, it wasn't dumping it's just been freezing so i came in here to keep it warm so <laughs> from keeping it real to keeping it warm keeping it mm-hmm. real warm but well, uh, yeah doing a week been, of awesome. I, I've, I, i've been uh keeping it hunkered down speaking oh, of weather really? yeah because uh at the time we're recording this we're only about um a week is it a week i don't even know uh, it was, I don't know, I, I lost track of time, guys, but uh, there was a hurricane. It came through right in my area. We had a lot of palm trees and uh, palm leaves all over the place, but that was about it. Not a whole lot of negative impact on South Florida, but that is the second hurricane that caught my attention this season. Um, and I think there have been eight Atlantic hurricanes this year, so it just keeps on moving. Uh-huh. But we don't have the cold like you have. No, 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 but we, we have someone uh, with us. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's like, we don't have the hurricanes like you have. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Yes. <laughs> uh, we do have someone with us, though, who is also acquainted with the cold. Uh, our guest tonight is a friend of mine, um, among other things. He's actually our second chaplain on the show. Uh, he works as an associate chaplain at St. Luke's University Health Network. And he's also a pastor. He's a pastor of Zion Stone UCC in Northampton, PA. He's also co-host of the Areopagus podcast on Ancient Faith Radio. Uh, we re-ran one of those episodes, which yours truly was on. Uh, we re-ran that episode in June of 2021. It was a lot of fun to have that conversation with him. Uh, you can find that in our podcast archives or on the Areopagus podcast. Now, I haven't said who we're talking to. Uh, but he, he definitely knows who he is. And if you were to ask him, what are the best bits about his life? He would probably tell you that he's the husband to Shanti and the dad of two kids. So welcome to the show, Michael Landsman. Woo. 
Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> I'm trying not to woo too loud because my my wife and uh, aforementioned children are sleeping. Yeah, that's that's probably a good call. A lot of our listeners may not realize we usually record late in the evening on a Sunday mm-hmm. night. And uh, even myself, I have a typical podcast area that I record. I'm pushed out of that because I got a little boy sleeping. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, it was it's been a rough weekend. Uh, and I, my my little girl, she had to go to the hospital for two nights, oh, and so we geez. she got out this morning, and so she's in bed asleep. My wife was with her in the hospital. We switched off. I I brought her in and stayed with her, and then she came in like in the evening and switched off and then they transported her to another hospital and then she oh stayed there goodness. overnight. And then, yeah, she came back this afternoon and she's doing good. She's running around and yelling and screaming and <laughs> having fun again. So kids are well, resilient, but uh, it was scary. If she, if she's running around, I mean, that's, that's a very, yeah. very helpful and good sign. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's gotta be a difficult thing for a parent. I mean, that's sure. not a road I've been down. It is. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you introed me as a, as a chaplain. That's, I do that more as like a side gig. My, my main yeah. job, my main role is as a pastor, but it's interesting that bringing those chaplaincy skills to bear in a context when it's your own kid. Sure. Um, like, you know, the, uh, I don't know, two months ago, I was sitting in the emergency department uh, one in the morning with a guy with a, a knife wound, like from the top of his head down the side of his face, mm. uh, knife wound, bottle wound, or got, face got just caught on something. And it's, it hasn't been like, it's been cleaned and it's, but yeah. it hasn't been, you know, sewn up or anything yet. And it's gnarly. And I'm just sitting there talking to him face to face and he just really wanted to talk for some reason. Uh, but it's different. Like when you're sitting there and, you know, they, they grab an older catheter that they're putting in her arm you know, so it doesn't seal mm. when they put it in. So blood's going everywhere. Mm. They're like, that's my kid's, that's my kid's blood. And that freaked me out more than, you know, talking to people with gashes on their face. Yeah. So, but trying to just, you know, because they teach you, right? They, that's part of the training is, you know, you, 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 like, you don't do anybody any good if you're a crying mess. You know, you hold it right. together until you can get to a place and then you can let it out, which yeah. is what I did. When I got home, then I was like, oh. Yeah, dude. You know, yeah. I had to happen once when, uh, cause like I got a 17 and a 15 year old and, um, my daughter's a 15 year old and she was, I think it was like her, I don't know, eight, nine, 10th birthday party or whatever. And uh, we we're having a party for both the kids out back. Cause they're like, you know, a month and two years apart. And so she had a friend coming to the gate. And so she's running to the gate and she trips and she catches her hand on this piece of uh, sheet metal on the gate. And it ended up slicing her finger just open. Uh, but I just like heard the whole thing happen and just saw blood yeah. going everywhere. And like like the dad instincts just kicked in. Yeah. I just ran over there, picked her up, ran to the bathroom. We like bandaged it up. And then my wife yeah. and mother-in-law like just rushed her off to the you know hospital. And then, but like, I, I sat down and told my son, I'm like, hey, you're gonna have to entertain for a while. Because I got like because everything because then everything hit me. I'm like, oh my right. gosh, my daughter's blood is all over me, you know. So it's it's definitely one of those things yeah. where, it's, you know, you it, you got to just deal with things and then you sit and like, okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, absolutely. That, 
That makes me think of one of the things that Jordan Peterson talks about when he talks about aspiring to be like, like one of the things that someone could aspire to. Uh, I don't know if he said this to like his patients or whatever, but is to, you know, be the the strongest person at your father's funeral. Mm. Um, right. And the whole idea of that is not for you to be calloused and indifferent right. to the pain or, and the loss of your father, but it's to be that source of strength at the time that you're needed. Right. And that's, that's like something I really struggle with. Um, Like every freaking funeral, for example, we'll come back to that a little later, because I have questions about that for you as a, as a pastor, but like every freaking funeral I've ever been to, even if I didn't know the person well, just wrecks me. And I don't know how to be that strong person in those contexts. And so like, when I see a pastor um, who serves funeral after funeral, you know, month in and month out, uh, especially the bigger the church, you know, or, or the older the population, I guess, could also be the, the the more frequently that's needed. And I just don't know how you guys do it. And, you know, the the two of you on this conversation, I don't know how you handle seeing your kid in pain and being right. able to be strong for that. It's imp- incredible, honestly. Yeah. I, I think... I think some of it will just kick in naturally because when your kid gets injured or is sick or you have to have a trip to the ER or whatever, I mean, if you're, if you break down, you're not going to be able to make any decisions. You know, you're not going to be able to like think clearly, okay, let's go, let's do this, get in the car. Where are we going? You know, you have to, and it wasn't with her, it wasn't that big of an emergency where we had to get it instantly. You know, we had brought her to the 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 local clinic down the road, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, you might want to bring her for to get checked out." So we brought her home, bathed her, um, got her dressed, and took her. And then they brought her in, and they're like, "Okay, we're going to keep her." And then it just developed like that from there. Um, but like also, you know, when you when you're a kid, like when you have a kid, you know, they if you freak out while they're freaking out, it's just gonna get even worse you know and i think at some point your 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 dad instinct kicks in and uh you're able to you know just what was the thing could you say you know you're you can van damme you know (laughs) and then you know you can be serious and you can get it done and then when you have a moment alone then you can sit and cry and oh my gosh that's my that's my kid i hope they're gonna be okay stuff like that wow so, yeah, so I think it's a mixture of that. It's a mixture of experience, but it's also just this, in, when you have kids, it's just an innate protective mm-hmm. instinct. Basically, it just takes over. Let's get this. Let's get yeah. this done. Let's get yeah. this kid better. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the hardest when they're young too, because like when my kids yeah. were young, you know, they have like a fever. You're like, you know, okay, trying to do everything you can, you know, and then it's like when they get, it, it's a little bit easier when they get older because like they can tell you exactly what's going wrong, you know, right, but. Yeah when they're young and small, you're just like, Oh my gosh. But it's like, like you're saying like that dad instinct kicks in. Like, okay. Well, like, what do we do to get to the next point? And then, then you, you sit down and you're like, okay. Cause inside you're like, okay, we're doing this and this and this, but inside you're like, Oh my gosh, that's yeah. going to be okay. But you know, for the sake of keeping it all together, you know, put that, put yeah. that on and keep yeah. it, you know? Yeah. You basically do it cause you have to. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And it's funny, like people will try when you do chaplaincy training, they try to give you techniques. And uh, my trainer, 
she had she she taught about this one of like imagine there's like a a ball in front of you right and then you're going to take all of your feelings and you're going to put it in that ball and you're going to have it but you're not going to let yourself experience the feelings inside that ball until you're done with the task at hand then you can like reintegrate and and for some people that was very helpful she was a very good trainer but for me something like that was just that like how do i put my feelings in a bubble like how do i Right. I can't even visualize that. Like I'm, I'm too practical for stuff like that. For me, it's just more like, just keep it together <laughs> until you're making through. <laughs> and then when you're done, then you can go and, and cry or do whatever. Yeah. Um, not denigrating that though. Cause that was really good. To, that was really helpful for some people, but for me it's a little too, a little too, uh, I don't know, not airy fairy. What's what would be the word? Mamby bam. I don't know. Whatever the, <laughs> the word is. <laughs> Well, I, I was going to ask you um, this a little later, but I'm going to jump right in on this right now because we're talking about your experiences as a chaplain. So, sure, I'm I I'm curious what would be like what would you consider like the most rewarding part of serving as a chaplain? Mm. Um, I mean, you get you get access to people that you wouldn't really have access to in a church context, um, and chaplaincy can be difficult because they're not trying to they're not trying to to make you a christian or give you like take christian care and then i'm going to give christian care to like a buddhist or an atheist or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, i'm not trying to evangelize or something like that um it's more of like just trying to help them meet like their emotional needs and their spiritual needs at the present, like with prayer or whatever. But the thing is when I wind up praying for people at the hospital anyway, it's always, I always, you know, invoke the Trinity anyway. Right. So I'm like, I'm a Christian pastor. This is where I'm coming from. Um, So some people like, Oh, you're going to be in the hospital. Are you going to tell everybody about Jesus? And I'm like, well, that's not really my, sure. That's not really the the job. Um, But um, I mean, you see, you see people at their, at their very worst, you know, and, and even if you can't say anything to help, and, and, and most times you shouldn't, like if, if you're a person listening to this and you're wanting to be, if you're wanting to be helpful to a friend or a family when someone's died, like the best thing to do isn't to say, you know, God needed an angel or, or right, you pluck right. the rose to, to the garden or everything happens for a reason or even you know all things work together for the good for those who love god who are called according to his purposes right like none of that helps um, yeah. there might be a time when you, you, you can walk with somebody as a question you know but the general thing like the best thing to do is just to be there and to say i'm here for you uh, like sydney sheva like with the like with the jewish practice you sit yeah. there you feed right. them you shut up i'm here i love you i'll do whatever i can to help you um what do you need and then later on you can walk with people to the other stuff so chaplains are basically just doing that first piece yeah um they're helping people with that the very beginnings usually of that first piece um and then other people are going to pick up and run with that hopefully uh, later on the line well you know one of the things that occurs to me is like when you know my question started out with what was the most rewarding part? And then you you did tell me some great stuff, but you also told me some really heavy stuff. So like, sure. I can't help but wonder, like, is it even okay to call it rewarding? Because it's it, it's such yeah. a unique space that you enter into for that job. Yeah, it's 
I think it's rewarding because no one's ever asked me this question before, so I've actually really never had to think about it. Yeah. Um, it is rewarding in the sense that apart from the heaviness that can that can come with that and does come with that, um, there's also there's also um, good like when when you're with somebody and. I'll, I'll just use an example because maybe this might illustrate it the best. Um, one time I was with, um, I got called to a lady's room and she was given a, a terminal diagnosis. Um, she had already beat cancer once before and had mm -hmm. many years of good health. Uh, but then after many years of good health, it had slowly come back. And, and now that she was at the point where, she felt like there was really nothing left to do. And that's where the doctors were. And in conversation with her, and it was like you know, one in the morning, midnight, whatever. Yeah. No, 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 this is actually earlier. This is actually earlier. Sorry. I were, I normally do an overnight uh, shift when I do, when I work. Um, and so she, like, like my family want me to fight, uh, but I'm tired. I don't know what to do. I've already beat this once before. Um, and basically the whole conversation was just me talking her through coming to terms with the fact that it's okay to let go. Like you fought, mm. you had a good life, you know, you, 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 you had extra time, um, and not to try and fight, even though it's essentially doomed just to make your family happy. If like, if you, if you're tired, it's okay to let go. It's okay yeah. to be done with the fighting. And basically me sitting with a woman, helping her walk through, um, it's okay, like preparing her for, for death, right? So, yeah. sorry. Uh, and so it, it's rewarding in the sense that you're helping somebody come to peace with the heaviest of issues, right? But it's also right. incredibly emotionally and spiritually draining dealing with with situations like that so it's weird it's this weird it's this weird double-edged sword and and th there can be chaplains who get to the point where they've seen so much and experienced so much that they're just sort of cold to suffering and i think mm -hmm. if if you're if you get to that point then you should probably retire or find another job um if you yeah. get as a chaplain if you ever get to the place where people suffering doesn't affect you then then take some time off or something because it, it really it affects you in ways you don't know like you don't like you might not even be aware of at the time but yeah so so yeah. let's jump right into something heavy <laughs> welcome no, to the chip wreck yeah we we where we laugh a lot and cry a lot too uh, there right, we go well i you know one other thing i was thinking about too is like you talked about sometimes the well-intended things that people say um but like when someone says something like you know god needed an angel like if you love the person who who you lost when you hear that how can you do anything else than think but i i needed an angel right right you know yeah yeah so yeah what, that's take, true take me into the if you don't mind if you're willing like you kind of already gave us a glimpse take me a little bit into the the space of the burdens of, uh, and that's not even like, I, I don't mean burden in the sense of like, you, you are looking at these people, like they're weighing you down, but you're right. going in and you're sharing a burden with them. Sure. 
And that means yeah. you're putting in your support and your weight is holding up that burden. Um, can you take us into that space a little bit? <sighs> yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it, and this is not going to be very compelling, right? Cause there'll be pauses while I actually try to think because <laughs> these are questions far better than what I was expecting. Um, not that you guys ask bad questions. I've listened to the I've listened to the show many times, but uh, yeah, I wasn't. Uh, take us into the place. Maybe I, how, how do you deal with that, or is there like is there something like specific? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I mean, what what you gave us a little glimpse into what it's like, I guess. Right. So I guess maybe just help us understand uh, a little more what you experience. Um, sure. In in shouldering that burden with these people. Sure. Yeah. Um, it depends because different people have different levels of access that they're going to give you. Um, you'll go into a room and there's some people who will not want to say anything. Like they're like, go away. Mm. I don't want any, I don't want to talk to anyone. There'll be people who you walk in right away and they'll just spill everything. Like their story. Um, and part of the process too, especially when you're in training, is you'll actually, um, you'll select, I think generally like once a week, you'll select one encounter and then you'll write about it, write out the conversation, um, um, what you were trying to do. And then what you'll do is you'll discuss it in class with the other, uh, with the other um, people who are training as well. And they'll give each other feedback. Like you yeah. could have handled this better. Um, this was really good. I'm surprised you asked this. Uh, and like one time I asked somebody right just right off are you like are you thinking about like committing self-harm or are you thinking about killing yourself <laughs> I just asked it directly when we were in the class they're like I can't believe wow. that you did it that you were that direct um, and you kind of just have to also kind of follow your I don't want to say your gut but you're you kind of got to follow your instinct, instincts because as you do it you start to get more experience and I'm probably not as good as I was when I was training just because and I'm not, not that I was very good when I was training, but I had more opportunity when I was training. Mm-hmm. Um, I, since I do the overnight shift, there'll be nights where I don't talk to anybody um, or maybe just one or two people. Um, but there'll be some nights where uh, I'll actually be able to sleep. So it, it all kind of just depends. Right. And But it's a unique experience um, listening to people talking about their lives and then just trying to make them help them not make them help them find connections and conversation that they can use that they you can help them identify spiritual emotional um familial resources that they can use to help aid their healing process um so for some people it's can i connect you with your minister are you at a church or a synagogue or mosque or something like that do you have a clergy person that can help you would you like me to contact them if they're estranged you can even you know I haven't been to this church in years. Well, I can still call their pastor sure. and see if they're willing right. to come in, stuff like that. So it's it's walking with people in those moments. Yeah, like you, you just don't know what you're what you're going to experience, like right. at any given any given shift. Um, generally, various levels of, of trauma and crisis. <laughs> right. Um, right. Some to the ex- most extreme, some to the you know the most benign. Right. And do you see most people only once or, or are there a lot of people me, that you yeah. see more than once? No, I, I, I don't see people usually more than once. Okay. Um, 
because of what I the the specific shift that I generally uh, apply for not apply for may have availability for is overnight on calls on Sunday. Gotcha. So not 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 this not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday after that, uh, I'll be doing an overnight on call. Um, gotcha. And so, but then what I'll do is I'll hand stuff over to whoever's coming in because we'll have like chaplains who deal with trauma. Uh, and so, if there's people uh, that came in with trauma, right. they'll 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 pop in and follow up. So there's systems in place where people can be followed up on. We know we do report um, when we hand over stuff like that. Yeah. So some people will be experienced. When I was training uh, in the hospital, there were people that I would see multiple times um, okay. throughout the throughout the throughout you know, the shift because I was assigned a specific floor, and then you print out a census and you go from room to room. And essentially, when you, even when you're done training, that's essentially what you're doing. You okay. print out a census, and then you have your area, and you go and you're going into rooms and people who are asking for it, people who haven't asked for it, just making yourself available and the department available. Okay. Yeah, actually, a lot of what you just described as far as the logistics uh, sounds a little bit like my wife, Polina, uh, when she was working as a dietitian in a hospital, mm. you know, there's, you're, yeah. you're not going to see everybody. You're not necessarily going to go back. Um, of course, in her case, she was right. there every, every day. So with some people, she, she was seeing them multiple times, but yeah. Um, so you're kind of making rounds and, and you're kind of all also as people are needing, they call right. uh, requests. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. They'll, they'll generally reach out to the, the, one of the nurses and then they'll, they'll contact us through Tiger tiger connect and we'll come to the room or, or set up the time to come to the room but then we're also answering codes as well you know and uh pages to the trauma bay stuff like that codes meaning like like medical codes or something like yeah classifications yeah, like with, of problems yeah yeah classification like we need blood this person's had a heart attack uh there's different codes that they'll just announce code blue code red stuff like that and so, and they'll save the room. And then, so that's where everybody will go. And wow. Then, yeah. You're, yeah you're, gen, gen, huh? The chaplain too? Yeah. Generally the, the on-call chaplain. Yeah. So generally okay. if somebody, if there's a code, the a chaplain will yeah. respond. They might, they're not obviously going to go in the room, you know, while the right. doctors are in there, um, like stabilizing and stuff. Um, but they, they are there available. Is, is there family there? Is there anybody we need to contact yeah. for them? Stuff like that. Yeah, because the way you described it, like I just imagine the whole like Scooby Doo crew, you know, just right. It is <laughs> coming all in. Yeah. It is. It absolutely <laughs> wow. is right, especially wow. if it's a if it's a cardiac arrest. Then sure, they're in there. Boom, you know. Okay. Yeah, um, and then sometimes you know, depending on what's happening, sometimes the person will be taken right from right from the room right to the OR 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 somewhere somewhere else. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what's what's it like? coming home after that oh that's a good question oh man yeah it's you said you you have the yeah. overnight shift yeah so is usually like your family still asleep when you come home no or they're you... usually woken up because i'm usually getting home at um i'm usually getting home at like 9 8 45 mm -hmm. so they're all up and then i'll come home greet everybody put my stuff down and i'll go upstairs and i'll go to sleep um and then wake up take a shower come down by that time it's usually lunch and then i'm with the family the rest of the day uh, generally i'll call my wife when i'm in the car on the way home she'll fill me in on anything that happened at night and uh i may or may not mention stuff that happened during the shift 
um, generally depends. Um, it, it, a lot of shifts can sometimes just be non-eventful, um, but some, you know, some stick with you. <clears throat> um, and, yeah. and it, yeah, it's good that, that she's there. I can talk to her about some of the stuff too. I will always give her like the full, like I won't go super deep into details, but they're, they're, the ones that affect me, um, those will generally kind of talk talk with her about a little bit. Yeah, I experienced this today. It was really terrible. Um, but and that's usually helpful. Yeah, I, I'm curious about that. Like, is that kind of like a must have for you to be able to unpack some of the more difficult things with someone, even if it's not your wife with a friend or a therapist or other chaplain? Yeah. Is that like kind of necessary in a lot of cases or yeah. do you, yeah, you talk you a lot that, of it yeah. down yourself or? No, you, you should definitely have in this line of work, you should definitely have colleagues that you can talk about this stuff with. Yeah. yeah. At least people in your life that, that, that will listen. Um, so I have layers of people, like there's people in the department uh, because I work. So I work like maybe one or two nights a month. I don't have a huge presence in the department, but um but they'll check up on there's there's constant checking in um, yeah. with with each with each chaplain from the the management team and okay. uh, department team and then they'll how you doing what's going on anything you need so they're very good that way uh, and then it generally me talking stuff out with my wife um, helps but if it's like something really deep also some, I might like reach out to a friend. Like uh, I had such a, a really bad experience, like, like a friend who might be in the ministry and just right. talk about, talk about the experience. And yeah. That helps too. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Cause I think when, when I think about times where I'm, you know, I mean, it can, it can be any emotion really. That's uh that's a downward emotion. You know, if, if you're upset with someone um, and you, and you just, think about it in your head what do we call that stewing on it you know it's like a slow cooking anger whereas if you talk it out loud with a trusted friend who has a sensible mind a lot of times as soon as you say it out loud you're right. like the power is gone or or it's right. a, you know the impact on you is less i i would imagine in this line of work talking it about it just saying it out loud instead of holding it inside is probably uh, an important thing sure. on some of the more serious ones yeah, it absolutely is. And I mean, the same is true for pastoral ministry as well. You know, you have to have, you have to have peers uh, and you have to be able to, I feel yeah. safe that, that, you know, what I talk about with them, they'll respect it and um, yeah. not blow it off. And, and, you know, you know who you can trust at that point if you, after you've been at this for a while. Right. Right. Well, I mean, even like being like, say a husband and a father, right. It's like, you know, you're going to like, if you're having a hard time like in your marriage or like just struggling with parenthood or certain things like you're going to reach out to other like you know friends that are in that same boat where it's like i just need to like get this off my chest and share and you know and sometimes there's back and forth advice and things but sometimes it's just like having a safe space to like right, get that right. it's like well no judgment i'm just here's a sounding board and like yeah you know, i'll pull you up when you're like feeling like you're sinking yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, th I think there's definitely a space where like having someone that has maybe been down that path too and can offer their own insight. That's maybe the time when when you are seeking that kind of feedback. That's the time when it maybe is appropriate for the other side to 
speak right. back into that and speak speak to you uh there but right but some i think also some of it is just being able to say it out loud and right unburden yourself one of the things i think people forget though is like you know uh, and you you didn't say this directly but you implied it i think um you don't want to just always put that on your spouse Um, right like, let me take this burden off and then you can carry it the rest of the day while I go to right. go about my business now that my load is lighter. Like you don't necessarily want to do that. So, so right. having other people that, that can help bear that burden uh, or even yeah. just, just to say it out loud to someone who gets it, who's been there and then, and then you're able to move on. Right. Yeah, that's true. And, and you have to let the stuff go because these are people you're never going to see again, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless you're, unless you're, you know, <clears throat> doing this full time every day there, then, then, then it's completely different Then these might be people you'll be working with for a while. Yeah. And, uh, and they may, you may see them getting better and you may see them die and sure. you might see them from admittance to, uh, being let, let out and they're leaving healthier than when they got in or, you know, their, their body's waiting. They, they put the body in the morgue and waiting for the the funeral home to come pick it up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I have a brief little anecdote and I have a purpose in telling, cause I, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to tell my stories. I'm here to hear yours. Sure. But um, when I was a teenager, I had two really impactful situations with elderly people that I would not have known otherwise. Uh, the, the first was, um, I've, I think I've mentioned on this show a couple of times that I got arrested doing graffiti when I was in high school. And uh, one of the one of the punishments that was meted out to me by my probation officer was uh, like 60 hours of community service. And I got assigned to um, to like a convalescent hospital type thing. So it's like assisted living facility. uh, And many of these people were were in their final days or months. And um, I I made several friends there during those 60 hours. Um, and one of those guys, he was transferred out and he, I probably shouldn't have done this, but you know, he would give me some cash to, he really liked corn dogs and he would give me some cash when I would visit to go sneak them in some corn dogs. And so I always did, but, uh, you know, I made, I made just like this incredible friendship with him and I had so much to learn from him and his own story was fascinating. He was a Californian, but like, uh, he was one of the first black um, educators that had been pretty prominent uh, at, at the time, probably, at, you know, I guess in the 50s or 60s, he was making a big difference in in L.A. And anyway, I don't need to get into all that, but that was such a, had such an impact on me being able to develop those relationships. Uh, but the other one, and I don't know that this would have happened if I hadn't had that first experience of serving that time in that hospital. When my grandfather went not long after to a similar hospital, I made friends with uh, someone across the hall who was not all mentally there. Uh, Mr. Dantzler uh, was his name, John Dantzler. And um, after my grandpa left, I would actually go back and see Mr. Dantzler sometimes. The crazy thing about Mr. Dantzler was he was angry and mean unless you came by his bedside. And he would curse and scream at everybody. But if you came and you looked him in the eyes and you talked to him, he was sweet and he would try to kiss your hand and just be very, just, it was a, just a very friendly man. I attended his funeral 
And uh, as you know, I think I was 15, maybe 16, it made such an impact on me. And it helped me understand, especially like how many people were in that equation to help them and to be in the lives of, of these men in their, in their difficult days and their suffering. And, you know, Fred Rogers famously, you know, says when difficult things happen to look for the helpers, Mm. um, this society, this world could not function without people being helpful. And it's clear to me that helping people is in your DNA. Um, and I'm curious if that's always been part of you and is that possibly part of what led you to becoming a pastor or uh how'd you kind of get into this space where you are serving others like in the fullness of your life sure well my dad wrote a book called attitude of a servant so i kind of figured i had to do that (laughs) (laughs) right so i'm like well he had had a big impact (laughs) he literally wrote the book uh so i guess i have to do this did you read the book? Um, yes, I did. <laughs> many, 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 many times. Um, yeah, he, he talked about me in it. So I wanted, so I got a thrill when I was a kid reading it and seeing my name in print. Oh, that's fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that is a lot of fun. Um, but you know, even just thinking about that, um, I think a lot of the the servants, you want to call it servanthood or whatever, a lot of times in church, being attitude of a servant or an armor bearer or whatever that, the, whatever dumb language you want to use, like that is used as a tool to manipulate people and to do things for you, like, you know, uh, build things sure. for you or do work for you around the church or whatever. But, um, you know, part of the things that we, when we were growing up, what we were raised with is, you know, the church is there, the doors are open, we're there, we're, we do what we need to do. So, um, you know, so I, I would help out as a kid in different places and, uh, different different tasks you know i'd help out the parking lot with the secure with the parking guys but they had donuts and coffee and let you drive a golf cart and give you a walkie talkie so when you're like 11 <laughs> like yes you know um and then you know you, I'd, I'd help out to the kids like yeah i guess in a sense i never really thought about it this this way but that's always kind of been part of my life i guess it's just been a, some type of service in some way sure uh, which then led into obviously influenced by by uh you know my dad's role as a as a as a minister as well um his experiences yeah, so, and... so let, let's make sure we say that clearly because i i don't i i don't know if i did your dad it you know was a pastor uh hit for basically your whole childhood growing up mm-hmm. uh and and beyond yeah. and so you were you were a pastor's kid yes. raised raised in a church setting uh, and still wanted to become a pastor anyway. <laughs> yeah, like my my it doesn't always go down that way. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, and it's and even for people who who, who it does work out that way, the line is going to be really squiggly. I think. Sure. Uh, I mean, my mom. My mom will tell a story about she. She says it's my first sermon as um, when I was I don't know four or five maybe. I took my dad's Bible and I put it on the pulpit, but she said you or the communion table. And it was so tall you couldn't you could only see my hands in the Bible, and uh, I was at First John one nine the blood of Jesus Christ God's Son cleanses us from all sin Amen and I closed the Bible and tucked it under my arm like my dad and I kind of walked out and they could see me. Okay. Um, so I mean that that That's kind cute. of thing has always been there. Um, and then after after actually 
I finally enough, after I went to Bible college and I came back to the States after a couple of years in the States, I'm like, I'm done with this. And, uh, kind of only came back to it eventually. Yeah. And now here I am. I've been at my current church now in January. It'll be six years. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good, good stint of time, but you, this is not the first church you were a pastor of though. So you've, you've yeah. uh, been a pastor, um, for longer than six years, right? If you added yeah, all so your pastoral this, years together, right. what would that maybe be? Yeah. So probably about 12. About 12. Yeah. Okay. About 12. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the other church, I wasn't, I was like, you know, ordained or whatever, licensed, yeah. whatever they called it. Um, but I wasn't the senior pastor of the church. I was just one of the ministers on staff. Sure. Um, and then uh, I left there and then went to my current job where I've been. There is no senior lead or whatever. I'm just, I'm the only pastor. There. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, no, it's just me. Right. Right. Now, one of the things uh, that you and I have connected on is you have a love and appreciation for the early church fathers. Sure. And uh, it's sometimes rare among certain kinds of Christians. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious how you get into that. What's your backstory there? <laughs> I remember in Bible college, um, like my most word faithy teachers, um, which is funny. He actually now is a pastor of an independent congregational church that uh, is very much reformed. And he's made that, made a complete wow. switch out of wow. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, his name's Kevin Duffy. He's a good guy. Okay. Um, Kevin, if you're listening, don't think you are, but if you are, hey, how you doing? <laughs> he, uh, yeah. He said, I think in class, he's, he, he just made some offhanded comment about like, you know, the monks, you think that just because they were Catholic, that all the people who died in the Middle Ages like died and went to hell just because, you know, they were Roman Catholic. And I'm like, well, that's a fairly good point. His answer was, of course, no. I mean, there would be sure, some people who sure. would ask, ask that question and say, yes. You know? Obviously, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then I had I had a professor there who, uh, and I, I say, I, I've said this to him in the past. I'm like, I don't know how he got away with this. And he was like, I don't know. They were just too busy with other things, I guess. But he had an interest in, uh, I think, 16th century Roman Catholic penitential movements. Okay. And, uh, I mean, he gave me books about St. Francis and, uh, he, you know, uh, I'd go to dinner with him and his wife and they'd be playing like CD, be playing as like Hildegard of Bingen. And I'm like, what is all, you know? And so he would, ha- he would include a little bit of this in, in his classes. So that would be my first experience of that at all. Before that I had none, like none, yeah. like, you know, when I was a kid, you know, we were, you know, we grew up word faith, right? So Kenneth Hagin, um, Fred Price, Kenneth up. Copeland, huh? I said that's how I grew up too. Yeah. Oh, so you feel me? You feel? Uh, <laughs> you know, gospel, gospel bill. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, "Who's gospel bill?" And I'm like, "He's a word of faith cowboy." Lives in Oklahoma. Yeah. So uh, you know, I didn't know they had cowboys. Cowboy. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. They did. <laughs> There's actually, if you want to watch some terrible, like terrible, like it's so bad, but you should watch it for fun. There was a movie that uh, he did, and it was Willie George. He's actually he may be retired now, and his son may have taken over, but he has a he has a massive church now, in Oklahoma. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but anyway, Willie Willie's a really great guy. It, the re, the way he got fate, well, not famous, but 
he kind of made his name by introducing puppets to the world of Christianity. Um, oh, and he was like, they do wow. this like on Sesame Street. Like, I'll just do it. He started doing it in children's ministry. And that's how he got his start. And um, and then he did this gospel bill. Um, you know, these little like 25 minute shorts, like a show, yeah. you know, and you know, they have a problem, you know, and then they have a Bible verse and they talk about it, like stuff like that. But um, there's, this, there's this one movie that he did with Kenneth Copeland. I think it's called like Covenant Writer where it's like him and Kenneth Copeland are like cowboys. I think Copeland's cowboy name was like Wichita Slim. I can't remember. <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen it, but uh, it's it's so terrible. But <laughs> stuff like that, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And a lot of music. There's a lot of music in, in my house and uh, growing sure. up. And so you, you now looking back, I can be like, okay, a lot of this music is, a lot of it's kind of, a lot of it's just based on the Psalms. Um, okay. And some of it is um, um, just, you know, songs that people ever have written themselves and, and things like that. But no, but my first real exposure to anything patristic was in Bible college with this one professor who's now actually gone on. He moved over here to the States and he's now the dean. I think he's the dean of the Divinity School at Regent University in Virginia. Really oh. good guy. Solid guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, Dr. Corne Becker, if you're listening to this, and you're probably not, here's to you, sir. Hey, all, all we got to do on the probably not is just make sure we send this episode to them. So, <laughs> right. I'd be like, hey, hey, Corne, I gave you a shout out at this time. You know, I, I, in the early days of this uh, of this podcast, I used to actually tweet when I would when someone would get a mention, I'd be like, hey, check it out. We mentioned Flynn yeah. Adam on episode three, and uh, I'd make sure I tag them on Instagram. It actually got me some retweets, so you never know. You might be onto something here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I got retweeted once by Katie Sackhoff. I was really excited about that. I don't, I don't even know who that is. She played Starbuck on the 2000 reboot of Battlestar Galactica, which is one of the best oh. shows on television. So I had a cup. It was like it was like Starbucks fresh roasted coffee, but instead of like the mermaid, it was like the Cylon. Face. Uh, I, I took a picture of the cup and i and i i tagged her in it and she like retweeted it or something that's that's exciting i i yeah. uh for for our beer nerds i got retweeted once by uh michael jackson not the pop star but the wow. home brewer and uh he's written a number of books about it yeah he's he's just uh he's the holy grail of home brewers you know so um that that's always exciting when that happens nice <laughs> nice I always like to, uh, you know, mess with my kids. Instead of saying hashtag, I'll say pound sign. Yes. <laughs> so we'll be like, like, what? We'll be like, pound sign blessed. <laughs> 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 that's a good dad joke. I'll have to steal that. Hey, man, that's free. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Those premium uh, contents. Well, you know, why don't we talk real quick about what we're drinking? I think that sure. sounds good, especially because I need a refresh on my well, beer well I, I you know i can i say what you're drinking because i'm pretty sure i know what it is <laughs> yeah go ahead you're drinking the athletic ipa aren't you yeah do you know which one it is it's run wild run wild and i am going to run wild and grab the uh hazy ipa the free what is it free free wave free bird i don't know free i'll wave. find out, out free bird alcohol Alcohol-free IPA. 
Yeah, it's a non-alcoholic athletic brewing company. I've been now drinking them on basically every episode uh, all this year, but even last year on some of the episodes, even though I was still drinking regular beer, some of the episodes I was drinking the athletic. Well, can I ask you a Working question on about drinking a, a non-alcoholic IPA? Sure. If it's a non-alcoholic IPA, why don't we just why don't you just drink grape juice? Or not grape juice, grapefruit juice. Um that's just not the same experience. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Just curious. But I, I do like that because that means that um I'm guessing, you know, the citrus just hits your palate yeah. in a major way. Yeah, it does. And... I'm not a huge IPA fan. Like I can handle a little bit here and there. Like I think Trobes makes one that I'm Trobes makes a lot of IPAs. But there's one in particular that I find that's pretty good. But some of their stuff is just too overpowering. My take, though, I will say on the non-alcoholic beers is that the best ones usually are the IPAs. Because okay. I hmm. I could be wrong about this, but it seems to me that uh, hops cover a multitude of sins. And, right. Um, right. And, and it's just hard to make a beer without alcohol that tastes good. Yeah. Um, but with an IPA, you can hop it up and it just balances it. Like there's just something to me, the unfermentedness of malt uh, can be a little odd at times. So like if you've ever had like Russian kvass, you know. Um, yes. I just had some for the first time uh, last Sunday. Whoa, it tasted like great timing. It yeah, tasted like it. iron brew. It tastes like <laughs> iron brew. If it, if, any, if we have anybody in Europe who's listening right now iron brew you'll know what it is okay yeah you guys may know it. it's some type i of guess i don't drink. so if you taste the kvass it takes kind of like iron brew well it, and and who knows maybe 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 iron brew is uh is essentially a kvass i i'm not sure but maybe i was like what is iron brew it's a weird soft drink that i guess kind of kvass reminds me of uh, yeah, except no. the kvass i had was was kind of was more maybe more was it carbonated? Kavas is carbonated, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. If, I think the kavas is more carbonated than the iron brew. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, kavas for for those who don't know, you know, kavas is is basically this. Uh, it's sort of like a soda because it doesn't have, mm. yeah. uh, you know, it's it's not alcoholic, but and it's it's drink like a soft drink i mean i i saw a guy in ukraine just drinking kvass on the bus like uh out of what looked like a coke bottle um but you know it's it's not the same flavor profile as a beer um at all you know that like when you think of like unfermented maltiness of of the uh non-alcoholic beers when i've tried those i've been like gosh this this is a lot like kvass for some reason but when you start bringing in hops and other things, it becomes a completely different thing. And I think there's like yeah. kvass can even be made by like dropping like a loaf of bread in the water. You know, like there, <laughs> there's some some pretty crazy homemade kvass recipes out there. Yeah. But uh, well, uh, Clayton, what are you drinking, man? Well, I'm drinking borscht. <laughs> just <laughs> sipping on some soup. I was like, dude, I'm just I waiting mean... for someone to be like, I'm drinking on some borscht. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'm trying to balance you out, Jamie. Okay. okay. So I'm sipping a, uh, a Doppelbach, but it's a local brewery called Migration. 
and I actually got the uh, you know proper glassware, pound sign proper glassware. Nice. Um, but it's it's a doppelbock with ambarana wood, which I've never heard of ambarana wood, so I don't know if it's um, aged in it or if they just put like staves in it. But it's still right. only like seven percent, so it it tastes like a typical doppelbock with just a little bit more um, tannin to it, maybe. Okay. And then the other thing I'm sipping on since I know Pastor Mike was talking about how he likes certain bourbons is I'm sipping um, a redemption bourbon nice. uh, and it, but it's a rum cask finished one. Yeah. So that one, it's super good. Still get some of those, those sweet kind of rum characters to it, but it's, but it's a rye as well. So it's spicy. So man, there's this beer. I can't remember the name now at the top of my head that was aged in rum casks. It, I think it comes in like a four pack. You can get it at like Wegmans, and I can't. And now the name just escapes me. It is like what I and it 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 was so good. It was so expensive, but it's so good. I can see the bottle. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember the name. It's going to be haunting me. And now tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be like, "That's what it was." We can always oh, add know. it to the show notes. <laughs> there you go. Well, what are you sipping on, man? Uh, I've got a Glenlivet twelve year. That I'm Ooh. drinking right now, single malt scotch. Yeah, very nice. Um, not this. This one's not peaty at all. It's just very smooth, slight sweetness to it. Um, generally, I like. I, I've come to appreciate scotches with more peat to it. Uh, but every once in a while, uh, Lagavulin. Uh, I, I haven't had good experiences with Ardbeg. I'm, I'm not a completely opposed to it. Maybe I'll come back to it. But uh, Lagavulin, Lafroig, generally, as I've liked. Um, and then the stuff that's not super peaty, McAllen's, Glenlivet, stuff like that. I remember I had a Glenmore, I'm butchering these names, Glenmorigani, um, aged in like some type of cask, sherry cask or something that I really liked, mm-hmm. but that was a long time ago. But no, my, my, my wife bought me this bottle, I think for Father's Day. Mm. Yeah. So oh. I don't drink through it fast. I drink through it pretty slow. So sure. Yeah. So Glenlivet 12. And I, I don't buy multiple bottles. Uh, I, I buy like, I get like one at a time and then I'll drink it and it takes okay. forever and then I'll move to the next one. Sure. And you're, you're into bourbons too, right? Yeah. I just started playing around a little bit with them. I'm not very experienced with them, but I've liked uh, Basil Hayden's. Um, um, Bullet. Elijah Craig. Um, Elijah Craig. Yeah. And uh, yeah, those are the three that I've that I've I've liked the most out of the stuff that I've tried so far. Well, on that note, I think we need to refresh our glasses, guys. And while we do that, I think we should play the new song "Recording in Progress" by Royal Ruckus. Yo, hey yo, what up, neighbor? It's your boy Cookbook. Sit down and join us. Take your sweaters off, yo. My man Jamie B made this record. It's all about kindness and love and being friendly. Is this even rap music anymore? Whatever, man. Just, you know, he thinks he's a Michael Jordan of rap. I think he's more like mm, the Mr. Rogers of rap. So welcome to Mr. Bennett's neighborhood. Come on, neighbor. Let's see what this dude is talking about. in 
progress. There is now a recording in progress. My cognitive process, historical context, resolving this nonsense. I'm cleaning my conscience. What good is making up if it is just for a conference? Blessing all my critics, and I'm praying for my foes. Jesus' prayer, mysticism blooming like a desert rose. Marching out of water, but I blossomed anyway. The culture's brutal with its beautiful crop of voluntary slaves. I'm reporting on this by recording with this guy. DJ SP scratches heavy, but don't bite. Not getting in fist fights, not quitting in mid flight. High above the rest, but still be trying to give light. It's about uh, being. Uh, it's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs, which I think are more important than any of the text. Because it allows you to think about what's just been said. Don't be reactive, make goodness attractive Don't live your life for all that is vapid detracted My failures are massive, won't be passive or flaccid From the ashes like the phoenix, I refuse to feel shafted Looking for the helpers, but they seem so far between We've been casting out the elders, claiming we can start it clean Yeah, there is good reason, thinking, listen on the past Instead of getting even less reclaimed, kings free at last It's the content of your soul, where we fall the roll Grab a hold and make it about control Reaching for a needle, Cindy Camel's to a hole. People handle the envy by flying flag up on a pole. I refuse to ignite, tick booming in sight. Plant ideas in the mind, inception its own right. Drink two in the mic, lead two boogie nights. This recording won't give life, but beauty just might. professor one time and he said you know there's one thing that evil cannot stand and that is forgiveness and you notice that the rest of the page is blank it needs a lot of time to think about that that was recording in progress by royal ruckus my brand new single produced by my boy dj sean p uh, there's also some guest spots on there from matthew thomas a nice jazz artist and my homie cookbook uh we got a brand new music video it's up on youtube on the youtube.com slash world ruckus i think i think that's how youtube works i don't know it's there though so we are hanging out here with pastor mike landsman we've been getting to know him uh we got right into the deep end and uh, uh, it's reverend actually <laughs> because i am ordained <laughs> Ooh, very nice. Reverend Pastor Mike Lance. <laughs> exactly. Did, did you did you get like a little desk placard uh at your ordination or did you have to order that later? Yeah. No, I actually did. Uh I got a really nice gift. My my church bought a um no, sorry, the the denomination, the conference office got me like a like a like a not a plaque, but it sits on your desk. It's like glass. It's actually really okay. nice. Oh, nice. uh, and then uh, my congregation got me. No, sorry. I'm trying to remember how this works. <laughs> Is it a rule? I don't want to mix this up. I, I have no idea. Somebody gave me something. The The conference gave me um, my my ordination certificate or whatever framed, like in a nice frame and stuff. And I think it was the church who then bought me like a desk. like Not yeah. a plaque, but like it's made out of glass. It's just on my desk. Um, and then I got a, a T-shirt from some consistory member that said uh, peace, love, and tacos. Oh, um, I love it. My, the vice president of consistory, uh, Jeanette, she bought that for me. And then 
the president of the consistory got me, I think, uh, some bourbon that's made on the ocean or something like Ooh. that. That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> it was like Jefferson, the Jefferson something, but they they like age it in casks on a boat in the ocean. I can't remember what it was called. Wow. It was good. Yeah, so it was good. And then we had a big pig roast, which was a lot of fun. Because it was also the church's 250th, 250th anniversary. So we just celebrated all of that over wow. a weekend. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's that's big time right there. Um those are those are big numbers. And and I've I've visited your I've not visited your church for a service, but I've visited the uh the You've location. There, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh you guys have this cemetery too. Yes, we do. Yep. So there's a, there's a lot of history of that community uh, that you're right oh, in the yeah. midst of. Yeah, like people buried there back in the 1700s. It's not the wow. the original. It was eventually moved over. But yeah, okay. there's, there's you know Revolutionary War era. You know, the, the church was founded in 1771. Wow. Um, and yeah, and then the present building was built, I think, in 1836. The present building, and then they've redone it several times over the years. Wow! Wow! And in the seventeen seventies, I mean, like you might yeah. have had people in that congregation on opposite opinions of the uh, Revolutionary War, even. Uh, yeah, possibly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, there, America was not founded yet. Um, the The church originally was, I think, located where two farms like the the line between the Driesbach farm and another family's farm and the wow. families decided they needed the church so they they put a church the original church was there not too far from the original from our location now yeah um and then we still have we still actually have on display in our our sanctuary the the original pewterware that they used for communion and baptism sure um, and then it was um a reformed and Lutheran union church for many, 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 many years. And then, yeah. Uh, and then the Lutherans eventually, I think in the 1900s, actually, it was a while they stay, they left and built their own building a couple miles away and then eventually yeah. separated to do their own thing. But yeah, for many years it was reformed. It was called a union church. And there's still, if you, you'll see them all over the place here in Pennsylvania too. Sure. Union churches. What what yeah. century was that going on? Did you say? Uh, let's see, eighteen hundreds probably. Yeah. Wow. Because when the church was first started, there were no clergy to 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 work it. Eventually, when you have a lot of immigration coming over from Europe, um, mm. they started sending people over from Germany and Prussia and stuff like that um, sure. to start pastoring in these communities and and start to build. You know, what eventually became these different denominations. So yeah. yeah. Wow. It's so it's really interesting because when I think of some of the responsibilities that have fallen on my shoulders, not in a church context, but like I've mentioned before on the show, and I think you personally know I I'm involved with a with an insurance claims association that's 90 years old here in Florida. It's mm-hmm. I'm the president this year and next year. And but but here's the reason I, I bring that up is that the 90 years uh before me is like I feel like a responsibility to uphold this organization, uphold the principles of why it exists and to carry it into the future. And I would imagine there's a difference between someone who goes, I'm starting a church 
and someone who steps into a church that has generational history in a cemetery. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's definitely a different set of challenges um, with its own, especially if you're in a denominational system. Right. It's uh, more where this particular church is a more traditional style of worship than, um, you know, than, than like most contemporary type services or something like that. Sure. Um, so the context is, is, is super different, like because there's things that you don't know. I came in as an outsider, so I came in completely, you know, fresh off the boat, I guess you could say. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I didn't know the importance of the different committees that had to meet to decide stuff for events. I was sure. like, well, this is do, we'll just do this. And they're like, well, we have to have a committee meeting. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> right. Um, but it's like, you know, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. I'm going to try to cut you off. No, no, go Like, you know, so if you want to do um, work on the building, well, we have to have a building committee meeting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like, And I'm just like, I come from the independent church world where it's like, okay, just you, you can just do whatever you want to do when you need to do it. Um, <laughs> sure. Which is, which, which, so you're always on the move, always deciding things fast. And then to have to deliberately take a step back and then start to make decisions in a pastoral context, uh, where if I was in uh, a different type of church, I could just say, this is what I want to do. We're going to do it. And then yeah. everybody would work to do it. In this context, I have to, I have to, I have to work with people and um, I have to work with the consistory and committee and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it's a very different experience for me kind of learning those processes and learning the traditions that they have there and the things that they value and how those things sometimes will clash with what I value and then mm-hmm. maybe initially being against doing something, but then for the sake later on for the church of allowing for it under certain sure. circumstances. Sure. So it's, it's, it's been an interesting time. Yeah. Well, it's like, I was going to bring up the point. It's like two things is like, so the church I'm going to is a mission parish, which mm-hmm. is, has been around as long as the church I was initially going to, which is like, since 98 or something but right now we're meeting in like at a catholic school so sometimes we'll be in a little chapel and or sometimes we'll be actually in the cafeteria so we actually have property but we've been talking about like how is that going to look going forward and one thing my wife brought about as far as like building a church and stuff as far as like you know it it took it was like what a hundred plus years for notre dame to get built and it's like you think yeah. about like sometimes it's like, OK, well, this is where I want my grandchildren to be. Mm-hmm. And so, right. you know, and so like what you're talking with the church you're at, I mean, that's got a long history. It made me think about um, one time we were driving to Montana. So we're going through Idaho and there's a uh, uh, this old Catholic mission church called the Cotado Mission. And it's I think it was like the 1800s. Um, but, you know, it's like regardless of like what religion people are denomination whatever it's like you go into a place that's like historical like that like you feel the history and it's like it's it's such a beautiful thing because like we went through like the little museum they had and they had this um these priest vestments but it was but they were made by like a native woman and so they were all in that style so it was all Mm -hmm. leather turquoise stuff and so it was so beautiful to see something that was historical and sometimes as us as modern americans like we don't think sometimes like that we just like oh just start something start something new and it's like 
like yeah. to be part of something like that where it's like okay of course you're coming about it like from say maybe a, a church leader point of view or theological whatever but it's like but there's also the history that has to play a part and i think you know it sounds like you know you're like you know very in awe and respect of that yeah i, I i'm trying to be respectful of it um and i've been trying to if i make changes uh, I, I hope I hope I've learned to suggest change and to do change and to try to bring it about in a way that um, that's respectful of of their feelings, but then also um, I know I, I'm I'm saying one sentence and I'm starting another, but it it also helps to have people who support you. You know, I have a really good set of elders and I have a uh, a really good consistory, and so um, the things that that a lot of churches get bogged down in fighting. Um, we don't have a lot of that right, right now. So I'm very grateful for that. So if we need to, we can pivot. Um, if we need to move, if sometimes if we need to move a little bit faster, we can, sure. but um, we've, I've, we've got a really good group right now. And yeah. uh, when I first got there, it was much more difficult because there were more people involved and, um, there were old conflicts that I was stepping into that had been sure. simmering on and off. And you know, a lot of people had, um, had left the church uh, because of musical decisions and stuff a couple years past. So um, just kind of stepping into that and then just seeing right. that through and, um, and now things are a much different place leadership wise, but you need to have a good team, you know, that's yeah. supportive right. uh, that could push back when, when, when pushing back is necessarily and if they're going to push back then you, have, you better have your ducks in the row and you better have good reasons for doing what you want to do right. like so for example i i up a communion frequency uh, when i first got there it was nine months and so what i did the first year was up it from nine months to once a month and then um i this the next year after that i've upped it again to twice a month and that was an actual battle. Um, oh, wow. And yeah, it, it, it wasn't like, it was a little frustrating, but at the same time, it was very instructive because it made me understand, like, if you're going to suggest a change, you better have your ducks in a row. Like, you better have your rationale, yeah. like, developed for this because they're going to ask you, well, why, why, right. why, why, um, why the frequency change? This is a special thing. We should only do it once in a while. Um and and so those are very different set of problems like if i were in a different church context i could just say we're doing communion twice a month and everybody would say okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's in right and that's just not how but i mean that's, that's not how I mean, that's not how the church works anyway that's not how the church should work um right and right. uh like i mean even in an orthodox context you have a priest the priest is in charge of the worship but then you also have you also have uh, your parish council, which talks about the finances and the priest is giving input with that and what he yeah. thinks they should do. And he's hopefully leading the parish council meetings. But at the same time, like, you know, a priest can't say, we're definitely doing this. Like, and, mm -hmm. and just kind of make things happen on his own without people going behind it. And if he, if right. priests were to do that, they wouldn't get very far. Yeah. Because if nobody supports it, then. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, so here's something I was thinking about because this is a, another twofold question. So I 
you know, I heard of you through a podcast, the Areopagus, which we talked about before. Woohoo. And um, you are probably one of, or if not the only non-Orthodox person on an Orthodox like network. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. So I want to ask you one, like how? <laughs> not no, not how. I'm, I'm <laughs> friendship, right? And that's what I like about the podcast. But like, you know, I guess how does that feel, and what is the pressure? Some like, do you feel pressure sometimes being like, uh, like you're saying, you've talked about like, you know, getting emails or whatever from people like, how come you're not blah blah blah? But it's like, yeah. You know, how, how do you navigate that? Like, is it easy? Is it hard? Is it you're like, hey, I'm used to it, whatever. Um, it from AFR side, like they're great. Like they're fantastic. Um, the thing is, I'm very aware that it's their it's their platform. It's mm -hmm. an Orthodox Christian media program. Mm -hmm. um, and I am very much aware of my of my place in that like i am not an orthodox christian i'm sure i'm a minister i'm a pastor i am not orthodox but my role i guess on on the podcast is an orthodox priest talking with a protestant minister about theology church god life all of that stuff seeing where we agree seeing where we disagree doing so respectfully is a model for ongoing orthodox dialogue with other christian bodies i wrote i wrote a a, a an, an article for it in um, the, the journals changed now to rule of faith. It's going to be published through the same Basel center for Orthodox thought and culture at Eastern university. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Cyril, if you're listening <laughs> to this, there you go. Uh, you owe me coffee for that one. But um, <laughs> in the spring, the spring edition, it was called the bazillion. And I, I actually wrote an article for the bazillion about, about that, about, uh, intra-Christian dialogue as using the Areopagus as a, as a, as a, as a sort of a model for that. Um, and no, so I never felt any, um, any pressure from AFR or anything like that, but I'm also very much, very much aware that if there was no father Andrew in there, like I mm -hmm. would not be on AFR, right. like they're, sure. they would not give me a podcast. And I, and I'm not, that's sure. cool. Like this is something that we, that was born out of our friendship and, um, I think because it was somebody that was born out of our friendship, they were willing to give us a shot. And the first stuff, the, the first things that we did went up, seemed to go over very well. And so we were, you know, kept doing it. And they upgraded our equipment um, up until Father Andrew, uh, you know, actually took the, his new job with AFR. So, um, yeah, and then he got the studio, which is awesome. <laughs> it's such a nice <laughs> studio. Because we used to record at his church or my church. Um, you know, there's, yeah. there's, we had Father Theodore Petridis on, um, and there's one, one moment where the bell starts tolling because we actually recorded yeah. it in my bell tower. Oh, wow. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. But to be in studio, um, it's great. I was like, that podcast for me has just been like such a blessing. Cause like, like I said, like, I love hearing just like friends talk, mm. you know, it's like, I, it seems maybe weird, but even like the past couple of years, it's like hearing people like yeah. just maybe coming from different places, but being like, oh, we're friends and yeah. we love each other. Yeah. You can do this yeah. too. You know, yeah, it's, you can. it's such a blessing. And it's like, there's times I'm like, man, I want to hear more people of other, like, you know, denominations or faiths on the area, Areopagus, just to like, 
hear more and we, we have but you know the other thing i was going to ask too would, would be like the flip of that and so have you gotten maybe you know backlash or maybe even comments or anything like at your church as far as like if you're wanting to make certain changes where they're like oh well it's because you have this orthodox influence oh yeah sure um one of the th- <laughs> one of the things that i do now during lent is a um we pray the prayer in ephraim um mm-hmm. during services yeah. during lent and we don't do the prostrations like all y'all do like like all of the prostrations that y'all do but we still <laughs> i still have them do i still have them bow if they cool. can mm-hmm. so i'll say you know bow at this point this point at this point and i have some older people too so i'm like if you can't bow just you know not, like you know, do this with your body or nod your head or sure. if you're uncomfortable with it just stand there whatever just don't be hating on us if we're gonna do it <laughs> um <laughs> And, and so when I started doing it, they're like, oh, this is, you know, this is a little weird. And I'm like, but we're, we're like bowing to Jesus. So it's okay. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess. Sure. Um, like, I mean, and there, there's, it's, I mean, it's not, and here's the thing. I'm not in services trying to rip entire elements of like the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom and then forcing that into a Western sure. Protestant context. I'm not doing that, right? I'm not gotcha. taking those liturgies and trying to make them my own. Um, you know, our service is a Western service. It follows very similar. It's it, the the denomination used to be called the Evangelical and Reformed Church. There's something else before that. I don't even know the name of what it was before that. But uh, the history is really interesting. Guys like Philip Schaff, who you know, the ancient. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, Nicene anti Nicene Father set. He was one of the translators for that. He's part of the history of the denomination, which is wow. sad considering how progressive the denomination has become. To have that as part of your history, sure, um, and then to just you know whatever. But um, um, I'm not because because I'm not trying to force those elements into a service. I wouldn't try to anyway because it, it wouldn't. It, you can't take things from a different tradition and say, we're just going to do this and it's going to be right. great. It just doesn't work. Like Father Andrew told a story on, on the Areopagus a couple months ago about uh, a very well-meaning Protestant pastor who took the holy, uh, the, the harrowing of Hades service and he mm-hmm. took like chunks of it out of the Orthodox service and he did it in a contemporary evangelical-ish context. And, you know, it, it was very meaningful for them, but it just, if you're Orthodox and you watch it, you're like, what are these guys doing? You know? Sure. Um, and they're not trying to be disrespectful and I'm not tearing them down for trying to do that, but I'm not right. trying to do that at my church, yeah. but prayer prayers here and there. Um, I think that that's, that that's perfectly okay to do. And generally now, if I do something like that, that people are cool with it. Um, every once in a while, back in the day, there'd be a little bit here and there. I remember one time I brought an icon of the resurrection. Which is my, my one of my most favorite icons. Sure. Um, Christ, you know, Christ is standing on the people who are Orthodox or know it, are listening. You know, Christ is basically standing on the grave and he's pulling Adam with one hand, it's pulling Eve by the other hand. He's like tearing up out of the grave and like his robe is flapping in the breeze. <laughs> you know, like an action movie moment almost. The devil's on the ground, like on all fours. You know, yeah. Pretty spectacular. And I took the icon and I'm like, okay, so this is what's happening. 
when we celebrate this. And so I just used it to like teach like sure. in my sermon, basically like, this is what's going on. Um, and, and they were like, Oh, that's interesting. And so that yeah. went over well. But, that's cool. Um, if, if, I, if things are thought out and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to steal from other traditions to try to make mine seem cool. Um, yeah. But I, I at least try to use my connection with orthodoxy in ways that can help my current context. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm curious about, because uh, a lot of what we talked about naturally is your role as a leader in the church. But, you know, Mike Landsman is also a Christian before he's a pastor. And at, what we've kind of revealed in this conversation is you've had some some time as a word faith Christian and, uh, you know, you're you're in a broader Protestant context serving a particular community, but you've also had uh, time dabbling in the early church fathers and you have these associations with these Orthodox people. So you've kind of like had this journey that touches uh, multiple Christianities, if you'll let me speak of it that way. Sure. Um, how would you, uh, how do you think about that? How do you characterize that? Or what, what's that been like for you to kind of go through some of those those changes or experiences personally as a Christian? Yeah. Challenging. Because <laughs> um, it's not over, right? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. God willing, you know, I have a lot of life left. So we'll see where that goes. Sure. But I'm somewhere that I never, like if you would have asked me 10 years ago, where would I be? I would never say I pastor a conservative mainline Protestant church in one of the most progressive Protestant denominations in the United States. No, mm-hmm. like yeah. it, it, you wouldn't, <laughs> I, I would have no frame of reference for that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so my life has been one of constant like amazement at like just <laughs> how different things have gotten. Sure. Yeah. And how God has used different situations to kind of keep nudging me along. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I had some other questions I wanted to ask you about pastoring, but I really, I think where I want to go with the time we have left, um, I want to kind of tie a few things up because we started out with some heavy stuff um, with your chaplaincy, but, but then like you have heavy stuff and we alluded to this, you have heavy stuff as a minister too. Um, So I'm, I'm curious, maybe I can streamline my question and you can, you can take it whatever direction you want, but like what are what's a lesson you've learned or a challenge you've faced or a little mixture of both that you are serving other people as a pastor, uh, as a leader in the community, and you're you're having to perform joyous weddings and difficult funerals, uh, as well as sustaining people week in and week out with sermons and things like like it's an ongoing job that doesn't stop. Right. Um and it's occasionally punctuated by very difficult things. So sure. take us into that. There's your broad question. Right. Yeah, it is a broad question. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, well, you can't have some rainy days without some sunny days. Right. So with those lows, you get those highs, but like, there's really no other job where you get to see people at basically every stage of their life. Yeah. You know, uh, hmm. uh, a sermon a couple months ago, weeks ago, maybe I was preaching and I'm like, some of you, I've baptized you, or I've, 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 since I've been here, I've baptized some people, 
I've married some people, I've buried some people, you know, and that's going to, it's all kind of part of the cycle of what pastoral ministry is. And, um, and I don't want to say you, you want to get used to it because you can't really get used to it because you never know what's going to, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. So you, you, man, we could take this question like everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You really take it. It's like, it's like getting acquainted with it. Like the the, it's almost like there should be a song. You know, it's the circle of life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> See, it seems like yeah. there's one or two out there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, man. Oh, is there is there like a clarifying like a clarifying question you may want to add to that just to kind of give my answer a little bit more shape? Um. Well, I mean, I can I can break these down uh, into more distinct questions. I mean, because I I'm thinking more in terms of like what's like a lesson you've learned as a leader okay. in the community. Sure. But I'm also curious on like something challenging you've faced yeah. because because of all the heavy stuff too. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so we've the biggest challenge I think that that I've had there is one of the biggest challenges is learning to do this on my own. Um, mm -hmm. Because when I, when I came in, my pastoral experience was in a non-denominational setting. It's kind of like a Baptocostal kind of, kind of theology. And so to come into this context where I was coming in, I was coming in like off the street, right? Like I had seminary training. Um, I had my, I had, I had, finished by the time I started there my NDIV had been completed and I had been um, working in the ministry for a while, but I didn't really have a context to help train and prepare me for the, the pressures of, um, of pastoring my own church, you know, kind of like by myself. And so, because I came in from outside the denomination, there were none of those support structures in place for me. Um, so I just right. came in and okay let's do this and so a lot of it was just me learning learning the worship um just kind of getting used to the flow of everything and uh once i kind of started to get that down then starting to make it a little bit more not my own but a little bit more reflective of of how i see things theologically uh, and then having to defend those articulate those I'm leading into challenges like having communion um, right. twice a month instead of instead of nine times a year, and I and I've said that I've said to them I'm like if I had my way we'd have communion every Sunday, yeah. Uh, but I know I know that never happens. But I, it's not something I would fight for. I'm not going to die on that hill. Uh, so part of part of being a pat is is learning how to how to not choose your battles, but if there's some things that you need to defend and hold on to, and then there's some things that you can just kind of let go like for me i hate i hate pageants like plays i hate church plays okay. i i think they're good they're dumb <laughs> and they're generally not well done and even if you're like in a mega church they're ripping off soundtrack from other movies and stuff without getting the right copyrights and stuff like that yeah like, yeah and um and even like the super well done ones i mean sometimes but the, sorry i have a story um okay I was at a mega church. I was at a mega church in Florida, and they do this. They had this play that the pastor's son. He's now the pastor there, 
artistic guy, incredibly talented musician, all that stuff. Um, and it was like an evangelistic play. And it was like these vignettes of people dying and some of them going to hell, right? And um, the one part, like a girl goes to college and goes to a college and she gets a bunch of alcohol and she gets assaulted and dies and goes to hell. And my girlfriend at the time came with me to the, she's marginally a Christian at best at this point, uh, had a, had a horrific, uh, had been sexually assaulted. Right. Mm. And when she saw that, that turned her off almost completely to anything coming out of anybody's mouth at that church. Right. So, I I kind of have all that in my in the pageants, and then to go from that to like seeing Christmas plays and stuff. I was like, I don't want to do any plays. We're not doing any plays, but like people like the plays, like kids like the plays, right? And so, I mean, that's something where I was like, no, we'll never do plays. And I'm like, yeah, we can do a play. It's fine, <laughs> right? As mm-hmm. long as the play, as long as the play doesn't take the cert the place of the service of the word and sacrament or service of the word. Sure. We can do a play. It's fine. Sure. That's one thing I will never budge on, right? If we come to service on a Sunday morning, a service of the word or a service of the word and sacrament, we are not doing anything else in place of that. That will always be our Sunday worship. Anything that we want to do, plays, pageants, we can do it in conjunction with that before or after. But Sunday morning, sure. 15, we are there to worship. Um, that's what we do. And so that's something that I've become very strong on and um, a challenge that I faced, right? Getting like, like when I got there, yeah. um, because, you know, it's, well, we can shorten this or shorten that, or we can, um, we'll just do this instead on a Sunday yeah. or, you know, we can have the, we can have the kids, we can have the confirmants preach a sermon. Like, no, the confirmants, they can read scripture, right? But I'm not going to let a confirmant preach a sermon. Sure. Um, that's just not how it's going. Uh, yeah. So uh, I know I'm just throwing out a whole bunch of different challenges and stuff um, that I've, that I've faced there, but um, like, you never know what you're going to get um, right. in any church context. And yeah. you just got to be as prepared as you can. You got to be humble enough to listen, humble enough to admit when you're wrong. Right. Uh, but then also be confident enough that, um, you know, you kind of do know what you're doing eventually, right? Even if you don't at first. Yeah. Um, as that starts to take shape, have confidence in yourself and uh, trust that God is actually leading you somewhere to to embrace a certain, leading them to embrace um, something that maybe that they were opposed to. Uh, right. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, so for us, um, one of the things that I, I, I've been trying to do is ground them right in in something that's less mainline and maybe something that's more reflective of the broader christian tradition um Mm -hmm. so reintroducing not reintroducing because they were confessing them but there, there there are denominational creeds that we have that i don't confess um that i will never lead them in um there are because the way, if you if you've never been to a mainline service, you, you you guys may have, but for maybe for some of your listeners, it's like a mainline Protestant service, Episcopalians, Congregationalists, um, certain Presbyterians and Lutherans, stuff like that. The services 
have become because of you know, progressive theology, essentially. Um, they're very, they're very kind of didactic. Um, they kind of force feed you what they want you to believe, or they're trying to, it, it's, it's almost like there's a, there's a, uh, there's a food item, right? That's, that's, I think it's made in France kind of called, uh, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, foie gras, right? And what it is, it's it's duck liver by ducks that are basically force fed a bunch of food until they right. get big and fat, and then their livers get nice and fat, and then they take the liver out and they pull it, and they can cook it. It supposedly tastes delicious. I've never had it, but it's kind of like that, like like progressive uh, mainline worship is essentially force feeding you all of this stuff until like nothing else really can fit in, right? So you'll you'll have um, things like um, I was in a worship service the other day for, for, for something and they sang Imagine by John Lennon, right? And I'm like, well, what are we doing in church if we're imagining that there's no heaven no hell? But then like right. in the prayers, like so for, so for like the prayers of the people, right? So normally in, you know, traditional Western worship, you know, Lord, hear our prayer or something like, sure. mercy or something yeah. like that. And you have like a whole litany. You know, like for the ways that, you know, I, I'm going to get ridiculous here. Like this isn't one that I've actually heard, but I'm just being silly. You know, Lord, for the time that, you know, I had the styrofoam cup and I threw it in the recycling bin instead of the garbage can. Forgive me, Lord, <laughs> hear our prayer, right? Like for the time, you know, that, that I was at the golf course and I hit a divot and I didn't use the tool to pack the soil back in. You know, Lord, hear our prayer. You know, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Lord, for the time. For the time that I stood up and I gave a speech um, and I didn't, you know, acknowledge the, the, the theft of the land of the Native Americans in the area that we were. Forgive me for my, my callousness, Lord, hear my prayer. It's like all that kind of stuff. And they're just trying to like kind of like uh, believe. And I'm like, no, um, we're going to we're going <laughs> to we're going <laughs> to when we have communion, we're going to do the Nicene Creed. On uh, Sundays where it's just the service of the word, we're doing the Apostles' Creed. On Trinity Sunday, we're going to do the Athanasian Creed, right? We we sure. when I do when I teach the confirmands, they're memorizing the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed, uh, mm-hmm. and it's and trying to sort of make that that approach sort of part of kind of who they are. Um, and and I'm sure there's other mainline churches that are doing that. I, I but I, I don't I don't see a lot of it in my own. And, and and the thing is too, right? In the mainline, like you you can you'll talk to people and you may say, oh yeah, do you believe in the resurrection? And people will say, oh yeah, of course I believe in the resurrection. But then you ask them, what do you mean by the resurrection? Sure. Right? Did Jesus just rise in their hearts, like you know, a la Mar- Marcus Borg or whatever, or did he like rise bodily from death? Like is sin. Um, a, some, a spiritual force or a condition that's affected the entirety of humanity and sways us away from God or is sin just, you know, the, the harm that humans do to one another as, uh, um, as carried out through political and economic structures. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. for large groups of Christians, it's going to be that second one is what sin is, yeah. right? It's, it's anything that keeps people from, 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 um, becoming their authentic self right mm-hmm. but if our authentic self if we're if we're 
we're all sinners, right? Saved by grace, right? Then um, our authentic selves is we only find our, our authentic selves to the degree that we are in Christ, right? See, we're united sure. with Christ, you know. And um, I want my people to be united with Christ. I don't want my people to be united with something that looks like Christ, but right. might not might not be. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was very that was very rambly. So I hope that made sense. That that was that was beautiful rambles, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I think it's like it's a lot of times like you know when people are seeking, you know, coming to, you know, um, a place, you know, a faith, you know, a church, you know, whatever. It's like they're they're trying to have something that's other than the world. Right. So it's hard sometimes when it's like. No, like my faith needs to inform, you know, my worldview. The right. worldview doesn't need to inform my faith. And so right. when you feel like it's the other, that's when it's like, well, so now I'm just coming to something other that's just talking about the same political, ecological, right. Right. whatever, you know, yeah. that's, it's hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it is. And I and look, and I'm not a heartless Cretan, right? Like I get where the desire for 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 compassion and um, owning up to you know sins of the past. I understand where all that comes from. Like, but ultimately, right? Like, like the church, we're not meant to be training activists, right? We're not a we're not a we're not out in the desert, you know, training activists to, you know, bomb is really like jetliners right like we're training people to be disciples of jesus and i think that a lot of churches are training their people to be activists instead of disciples and if your church is doing that then whatever church it is then you need to find another church but um but if you people can be trained for activism and if you throw jesus language in there then it kind of makes it a little bit more um I think it makes it a little bit more palatable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, like, don't, like, like, yeah. yeah. Sorry. You you might have a lot of editing to do with yeah um, <laughs> and stuff like that. I wasn't expecting to have this good of a conversation tonight. Honestly, it's been a long, it's been a long week. But. <laughs> well, I'm 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 glad we were able to have a, a conversation yeah. that yeah, you uh, you could actually describe as good. Uh, <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean i hope so <laughs> i hope so well one, one of the things that uh i can't let you get away without talking about though um, sure. is that all of our guests have to talk at some point about beards and mm-hmm. you have a little bit of facial hair right now it's yeah. more more uh it's it's more than stubble but okay. it's right. it's it's uh, it's definitely more than a five o'clock shadow, I think, but it's it's not yes. a full on beard. So exactly, th- what what's the deal? Where's your beard, man? <laughs> I tried. I actually a few years ago tried to grow an actual beard beard, and it was super patchy, and it uh, did not look good. And uh, my wife was eventually was like, uh, we were well, we were dating at the time, and um, I think we were engaged by that point, and she was like. Like you can give this up now. Like this is not, it's not working. And I was like, all right, fair enough. But so, so I haven't, I haven't tried since because this doesn't look good. But I actually just shaved it the other day. But 
I did try recently to to do a more of a mustache thing after I saw okay. Matt Top Gun Ma- uh, Top Gun Maverick. I was like, yes, I can do a mustache with my dad, Tom Selleck. <laughs> so I actually I th- I thought I got a pretty good one, uh, and then my I kissed my wife, and she's like, nope, I'm not kissing you until you shave that. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. She's like, it hurts. I'm like, all right, fair enough. So I, I had to shave it down. Well, you just tell her you've got to let it grow a little bit more so then it softens. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I, I think she wanted, she wanted, she didn't want to wait months for me to have to kiss her. You know, I think she wanted, <laughs> I, when you're as good as kisser as I am, I, I can see why. You know, she totally. Totally. I mean, yeah, exactly. likes you, so that's good. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I'm glad your wife likes your kisses. Uh, that's, that's a positive thing. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I, I am sorry for your suffering though, because I know the joys of, of having a beard and hey, you have a great beard. I'm super jealous. Well, no, nobody has quite the beard, uh, like on this call, like nomadic has, um, That's true. that, that man has cultivated carefully his beard. Right. Oh. <laughs> well, well, you know, it used to have uh, pigmentation to it, but you know, teenagers, yeah. so. Yeah, I yeah, I actually yeah. think when you started co-hosting this show, you had quite a bit more pigmentation. Uh, so maybe all these stories uh, have also stressed out the uh, stressed the they, color right out of your beard. They drained the, the well, color I, right maybe out. Maybe the other thing is since I cut my dread, like it had like the depigmentation had nowhere else to go. Uh true. So it was my, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, we, we do have uh, one more question for you. Um, sure. Nomadic, would you want to ask him? Um, yeah. What is your favorite hip-hop song of all time? Oh, man. Of all time. Oh, that's... that's. I, I saw this question in the show notes, and I've been thinking about it, trying to <laughs> to figure it out, because there's so many there's so many songs that I love. I mean, um, we, we, you have a couple if you need. Yeah, I'd probably throw out uh, Benita Applebaum by Tribe Called mm. Quest. Um, yeah. I, I would probably put like Benita Applebaum, Electric Relaxation. Um, That's and, great. Uh, those, are, those are two of my favorites of theirs. I really like that. Those, those two songs. Those are probably some of my... I, I guess I can... I'll put my I put my pin in, in those two. I really like those. I think those are good songs. Even on their last album, there was one song of theirs that I really, really just kept coming back to, called "This Generation." I really liked that song a lot. Yeah. And so I, I, I okay, so I could say for the maybe right now at this moment, even though it's a couple years old, "This Generation" by Tribe Called Quest, R.I.P. Five Dog. Mm-hmm. It's probably my favorite yes. rap song right now. Man, that that is that's a hot song. All three of those are hot songs. Um, it was getting real sexy in here at the end, though, with a couple of those songs. Um, <laughs> Tribe Called Quest, though. I mean, I have said for years that they're my the greatest rap group of all time. They're my favorite group. All this stuff. I will say the last couple of uh, years, though, I've been thinking about what an impact Beastie Boys had on me. And at this point, I I can no longer say a Tribe Called Quest is the best. I'd say they're tied. Yeah. For the best. Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys and Tribe Called Quest, to me, that's the gold standard of hip-hop. So anybody who comes on here and says their favorite rap song is from either of those artists, hats off. You're a winner. You know, good choice. 
Uh, but for you to also bring it up to speed with Tribe, that's pretty yeah. that's pretty fresh. Go ahead. Yeah, you got to do there. Jamie, because then there was, you know, the uh, Beastie song with Q-Tip on it. Game changer. You know? That's right. That's Ill right. communication at Ma Bills. That's right. Ma, I got the ill communication. Well, you know, and that's the thing. Is like, I remember people talking about, like, I think it was over like 2016. People were like all upset. It was such a bad year. And I'm like, we got a new tribe and a new De La Soul album yeah. with it. I'm like, I'm like, how can you say that's a bad year? I'm like, I get yeah. there's a lot of things, but like, just buy those <laughs> albums and then just let them take you away. <laughs> you yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, great. The, the 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 tribe album, I was really, I was really happy with. I was like, this is a really great. Song. I wish I wish they could have got a little bit more out of Fife before he died, but um, it, that was a really great album. I I well, still listen to it all the time. The other thing I got to say too is um, we have to say you know memory eternal to tame one artifacts. I don't know if you guys oh, are familiar with that. Yeah, he just passed. Uh, yep, El Desense, you know um, tame one. They were like a huge uh, you know influence in the graffiti and you know hip hop communities. So you gotta throw hats off to them. So there was it's not quite hip hop. Hold on, there was a um, an artist. He, he hardly ever releases anything, but whenever he does, it's always so flipping good. Um, his name is, and I'm looking for it right here because I got my phone. His name is, uh, where are you? Uh, uh, Raphael Sadiq. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, Tony, Tony. Yeah, yeah, Tony, Tony, Tony. He only has like two or three albums, but like they're all so good. Like they're they're so 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 good. Like he and I and I, I keep coming back to them all the time. And uh, the first one is, huh? Joss Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's like a British. Uh, second or third album. Okay, that's that's probably. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, he's got two albums. One's called Stone Rollin', came out in 2011, and then another one came out called Jimmy Lee in 2019, which is actually a really personal one because he talks about his brother. I think his brother dying from like heroin and uh, heroin addiction. Um, they're both really great albums. Wow. Well, I've got a couple things to add to the listening list because, uh, yeah. especially that last one, that sounds very, very interesting. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a beautiful album. Well, besides the Areopagus podcast, which is on Ancient Faith Radio, where can people find you? Do you have some socials you'd like to plug or anything sure. you want to mention right here? Yeah, so um, I do a, I have a sermon podcast that people are into that. I don't preach for like three hours or whatever. I preach for like 20, 25 minutes, 20 okay. minutes. Uh, it's on SoundCloud. It's uh, Zion Stone UCC on SoundCloud. Um, our church's Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC. Uh, we're in Northampton, Pennsylvania. Um, uh, I just got a new Instagram. It's uh, Lance Persona. I guess if you want to hit me <laughs> up there or, or Facebook, you know, Mike Landsman. Uh, Mike, it's Michael Landsman. Uh, but just be sure it's me. You'll see me with my wife in my picture. I did that very intentionally because people kept hitting me up and like, Dr. Landsman, how are you? I'm like, you're looking for my dad. Do I look like my dad? <laughs> That's pretty great. 
Well, folks can also check out Royal Ruckus. Uh, we're at Royal Ruckus or at Royal Ruckus Official. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And uh, Nomadic, you want to give any shouts? Um, Bruise Beards on Instagram. Okay. Oh. Me, Nomadic Vagabond, Nomadic with a K. Um, that's about it. Other than that, um, of course, check out um, Royal Ruckus on Bandcamp. And then buy me a coffee. You know, we got to keep that going. Yeah, actually, yeah. that that's important to mention. And the last thing I'll say is just uh, buymeacoffee.com slash Royal Ruckus. It's an easy way uh, to send support if you liked the uh, single you heard. There's more coming. And I'm paying off all the very wonderfully expensive mixing and mastering and all that stuff. I'm not complaining. It's expensive because it's quality. So, mm-hmm. uh so any anything and if anybody enjoys it and you like what we're doing, uh, kick something over there and we will put it in the fund. So thank thank you, gentlemen, for hanging out tonight. This was uh, a great conversation. I was going to say it's a blast, but uh, only parts of it were fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, this is the first time anybody's ever asked about the chaplaincy work that I do on the side. Like this is the longest conversation I think I've had with, with anyone about it on a podcast, honestly. Well, well, you get two guys to get into it. Glasses. That's what we do. You know we what I mean? <laughs> we did. <laughs> well, you've been listening to Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Yeah, boy! Welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus. Actually, I'm going to start that over. Because I should not say I'm your host. I'm a co-host. Rewind. Yep. Here we go.